This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. A lot of people are interested in the short-term rental space, and it's a great space to be in. But one of the challenges with it is if you want to be more passive in your investing, it's hard to really do well. It's hard to actually scale up this type of investing. My friend uh, Lance Peterson is here today, and this is exactly what they do. Their business basically works with individuals to do luxury short-term rentals. They have a fund. We're going to basically learn about how it works and really how you can get involved in getting a great return through an investment like short-term uh, rentals. So Lance, welcome. How are you today? Really excited to have you. Yeah, I'm doing great, Bronson. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I know we connected in the past. You've done a lot of different things. Um, you had you worked with a group where you guys were setting up funds for people. So if somebody was in the capital raising side, they might be familiar with who you are. But uh, why don't you give people a little bit of background about you know who you are and what you're doing and how you got where you're at? Sure. Yeah. So I got you know I'm a lifelong uh, entrepreneur first and foremost. So I you know like doing things that are hard and starting things from scratch. Um, but that I ended up getting into the real estate space through the private lending. Um, so in 2008, uh, with a friend of mine, I got involved. He was doing hard money loans to non-owner occupied commercial uh, uh, commercial real estate assets up in the Pacific Northwest, and that's sort of how I got involved. Um, really in the back office and um, building that up in fund management. So that's where I got exposure to funds and open-ended funds and net asset value and underwriting and all those things. So I think it's a good place to start when you, you know, underwriting things that you don't control. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want those properties back. So you want to make sure that, you know, who the borrower is, you know, what their business plan is. You, you certainly are good at assessing what the value of these assets are since you're, you know, lending money on a percentage of that, you know, loan the value or whatnot. So that's where I got started. And then from there, we pivoted that business in 2011 into just doing more capital allocation. We realized that, you know, upside is limited, you know, uh, lending out money and money's fungible. Whereas we felt like we could add more value, um, you know, allocating capital, raising it from high net worth people, and then allocating it to worthy, you know, deal sponsors across the country. And so that's, that's really where we got super involved in it, and and it led to you know forming a fund administration business and a advisory practice. So we realized two things that a lot of real estate guys need help with: they're good at the real estate side, but maybe not so much on the capital management side, in terms of you know investor relations, how do you raise money, those sorts of things, um, and then certainly the accounting is you know is really the bane of most of their their existence you know they don't like anything to do with the accounting and frankly they're usually not very good at it and so we started doing it for them as a service uh really out of necessity because a lot of people we invested with you know we wanted to make sure that our books were good and we could get our financials out and you know make distributions to our investors so that's really what i spent the last you know 10 or 12 years doing is just really consulting and advising with real estate guys all over the country that are executing any number of strategies with real estate you can think of. And I think for me, that sort of by way of segue, 
how I got into the short-term, you know, rental space is that, you know, I had a client come to me, you know, three years ago and, and said they wanted to put a fund around this particular strategy. And, you know, that's really when I dug into it was, was through that, like most of the opportunities you get to really dig in, if you're going to model it and structure it and figure out how to do that, you have to understand it, um, which is the, the part that I, I like. And so when I exited the, the private equity real estate firm and the administration business at the la- end of 2022, um, these particular individuals, you know, uh, you know, kept phoning me until uh, I would, you know, they wouldn't take no for an answer. Let's put it that way. So I ended up getting involved with them and their great group down in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, it's one of the two strategies I was super bullish on. Uh, I really like mobile home parks and I like short-term vacation rentals. Yeah. You know, I want to just touch, as I interrupt you here, um, so I have a friend, you might know this guy, his name is Tim Hubbard, and he does a lot in the short-term rental space, but he's done kind of like a, a small multifamily strategy where he had this story of buying, you know, apartments in Midtown Memphis, like eight unit apartment complexes. This was like eight or nine years ago. And he's buying, you know, average rent was 450. And then he would go and basically do renovations and he was getting basically 2,500 a month. Uh, gross rentals with short-term rentals. So the math is just insane if you can make it work. But the challenge is like, if I'm going to do that, you know, of course I live in California where the, you know, if the neighbors complain, then you're out, you can't do it anymore. So I know there's a lot of things that go into short-term rentals. And, and so can you talk to us a little bit about just kind of the short-term rental business? If somebody's not as familiar with it, obviously it's higher cash flow. There's probably higher costs that go into it just as people understand kind of how the business works. Yeah, yeah, glad to. Yeah, so Tim, he was on my uh, podcast as well, uh, Real Estate Risk Report. So, yeah, uh, great guy. Good, yeah, great guy. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know the way that you know way that this business works, you know, is 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 sort of a hybrid right between a hotel and a, a long term rental. So you're taking a single family home and 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 uh, converting it into a you know, more of a hotel, right? Like, so your average daily rents is really your, one of your key things and then occupancy, right? So we're always shooting for, you know, occupancy rate, a good occupancy rate in short-term vacation rentals is probably somewhere between 55 to, you know, 65, 70%. I mean, any higher than that means you're leaving money on the table. So, you know, the way that it, it works, yeah, there's more moving parts, obviously, than a long-term rental. I mean, the thing that's constant, of course, is that, you know, maintaining the home, and you need to make sure all the things that come along with that, you know, the landscaping and uh, the roof and the AC units and all that so is sort of similar to what it'd be like to, you know, to, to be actively managing a, uh, a long-term rental. And then the big difference, of course, is just when you add the hospitality piece to it, right? So, you know, most of the traffic now has been driven by, you know, Airbnb, VRBO, I mean, all these, you know, they call them OTAs or online travel agents. So, you know, we can list, you know, our homes on, you know, pretty much any travel site out there. I mean, you can go to Google Maps and search and, you know, vacation rentals pop up now. So, you know, that that makes a huge difference. You've got this, this massive distribution channel um, that's sending, you know, sending you leads. And, and in most of these cases, right, what ends up happening is that Airbnb ends up just tacking on their fee on top of ours, right? So to the degree that the, 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 the guest is willing to pay that extra freight, which often they're not necessarily aware of, you know, then they go ahead and do that. So it doesn't necessarily hurt our economics. Now, what I do on our listing pages, I do everything I can to try to drive the traffic back to our own site where they can direct book and save, um, you know, that fee. Now, of course, Airbnb, you know, they police that and, and, and Verbo, they don't want that to happen. So they, the way that they kind of police the listings, but I use like QR codes, you know, for virtual tours and, you know, things like that, that sort of drive them back. So they get the, 
the gist of it, but, but, you know, that's sort of how the, the business, you know, works. And then the things that are different too, in terms of the PL impacts, right. Is that your mortgages are obviously going to be the same and interest for the most part is the same. The, the, the difference would be you've got consumables, right. So you actually pay for the shampoo and the soaps and the, the, the toilet paper and the, you know, those sorts of things are cost borne by the owner of the home. Um, and then, you know, but the cleaning and the housekeeping and that stuff is, is borne by the guest. Right. And I think the other thing that you have to keep in mind is, you know, your maintenance costs are probably a bit higher just because there's more wear and tear, you know, than, than maybe a long-term guest, or maybe you're just sort of feeling, you know, the brunt of it more frequently than you do with, with a long-term rental. But we all know we've, you know, you've owned a rental house, you can have really, really great tenants who take care of it like it's their own. And you got others who, you know, not so much. Right. Yeah, so, I, same yeah, thing. I wanted to stop for one sec here just because for some people, they may not be as familiar with, I mean, everybody's kind of heard of Airbnb or VRBO. Some people travel a lot and obviously you may be familiar with that. Uh, some people it's, it's business guests. I've, when I've traveled for business, sometimes I'll stay in an Airbnb, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it's nice because you're in a place that's not as cookie cutter. You're not in a hotel necessarily. You have a kitchen, you've got a lot of amenities that you wouldn't normally have. Um, and then, you know, for you guys, you guys do something pretty special in the space that you're not just going after the average business traveler. You're not going to somebody who's, Hey, we're just going to Arizona for, but these are, these are pretty high-end luxury yeah. properties. Can you talk about the properties just briefly? And then, and then who is actually, uh, you know, renting this out? Cause it's not just your average person who's renting that out. Yeah, it's a great point. So, I mean, I, I think for us, you know, we, we operate exclusively in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is just East of, you know, Phoenix, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of resort travelers and stuff who go there. So we, we've opted to really focus on the luxury segment or we'd call, you know, we, we buy mansions. So we're, we're talking 5,000 square feet plus, you know, acre lots, you know, they're really, really nice, large homes. Um, and for, for a couple of reasons, one, we just believe that there's, there is just less co- competition there, right? Not, not as many people can buy. Whereas, you know, in the last few years, this has really taken off as a strategy for the everyman, which is great, and I'm all for it. But you know, also it's just the amount of competition in the two, three, four bedrooms is is significant. You know, and it's definitely impacted you know those key metrics, right? So you just don't do as well in that segment today as you may have a few years ago. But in the luxury segment, you know, we really have only got you know we've we've gone up. I mean, we're our our average daily rents, the amount you know the room rent we charge per night you know, is, is up 20% from last year. And last year was a banner year um, because everyone was sick of being cooped up. Now we've seen the average number of nights that people, our guests stay with us has gone down, you know, back to sort of, you know, pre-COVID, you know, three nights, three, four, five nights instead of, you know, seven plus nights that they were doing last year. So yeah, we, we focus on that high end and then we wrap, you know, concierge services around that. And the people who stay in our homes are, you know, it's, it's a, you know, super affluent, you know, family of four who, you know, doesn't want their lifestyle to change literally one iota from, you know, where, you know, wherever they live up in Chicago or whatever they're coming from. And then you've got the multi-generational guests, you know, who come with, you know, their, their, you know, their brothers and sisters and their, their parents. And, you know, that works, right. When you got a 10 bedroom home that can, you know, hold 24 people. So you've got, you know, multiple generations, golf buddy trips, um, you know, those sorts of things, obviously Scottsdale's got some of the best golf in the world. Uh, so we, we were the beneficiary of that, um, you know, and high-end athletes yeah. and things like that. So it's just, it's really that high-end, 
you know, clientele that, that, you know, we, we tend to serve. Yeah. We did this um, with one of my, I think you were part of this group for a while called entrepreneurs organization. I think yeah. we touched based on that. And we had a, a group, we went to park city, Utah, and we yeah. stayed for, I think three nights in a, in a five bedroom and paid 7,500 bucks for the five of us to stay there or something. So, you know, it's, a, but I mean, that's probably how much are these places per night in Scottsdale? I mean, some of these places might be what, yeah. like a few grand to, you know, yeah. more per night. Right. Yeah. I mean, over the, like, you know, the last six months, just by way of reference, right. Like this year alone in 2022, as we record this, you know, $1,482 is our average daily rent, um, you know, between peak and now, you know, what would have been a shoulder in some part of the off season. So, yeah, I mean, that is another segment that I'm really focused on uh, from an execution standpoint, uh, being a former member of EO myself and knowing the form retreats and, you know, now just to the remote workers and things, so really trying to get our bookings up, you know, Monday through Thursday with those types of groups, um, you know, the offsite meeting type groups, they're highly profitable, they respect the place, you know, and we can sort of activate their stay, you know, by helping them kind of book with, you know, other, other things in and around town. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. That's great. So yeah, so just to understand a little more of the business model, I know a lot of people, they can, you know, if I have a house, I can rent out a room in my house, or if I'm gone, I can have someone stay here or whatever, but obviously that's difficult to scale. What are some of the systems or like, you know, how do you guys scale this to where you feel like you've got a good, hey, we can take millions of dollars from investors money to be able to go do this. And how does that all work? Like if somebody invests uh, just as an example, obviously not specifically your deal, but just, you know, in the sense of like, how does this work? And yeah. Uh, you know, what kind of returns if people start getting paid immediately? Is it usually there's kind of a time to kind of see how things go? I just love to understand how the investment is structured. Yeah. I mean, so like in our case, you know, my, my business partners, you know, they're, you know, four generation, you know, real estate guys. So they're from, you know, uh, Chicago, you know, did a lot of development. Um, they moved down to Scottsdale in 2013. So they really came more from the real estate side and started to get into the, the vacation rental component in 2015. So really, I think that's more of where our you know core competency, I mean, at its true core, came from. So in terms of that, you know, that's why we've kind of put a fence around you know Scottsdale and Paradise Valley is that when you really narrow it down, and then you know there's 311 homes in the zip codes that that we operate in that that we want to buy or would be open to purchasing, and so we're more active with postcard campaigns, calling campaigns you know, really just, you know, banging on the door because for us, we've got sort of a triple threat, right? Like, Hey, I'll buy your house. Um, you know, I'll give you, you know, I'll, here's what I'm willing to pay for it. And we can just buy it outright. We also have the option for them to pledge their home into the fund via 721 exchange, which is an upreat deal. So they can sort of forego taxes. So if they don't want to pay the tax ban, we've got an option for them and then liquidity, uh, to, to get out, um, you know, down the road. And the third one is, well, maybe we'll just manage your home, right? So maybe we can just manage it for you. So, so that's how we, you know, that's kind of what our strategy is in terms of scaling that component of it. You know, it's, it's like any, any real estate acquisition firm, especially in the single family space, you know, it's, it's a lot of moving parts because we are going to renovate more often than not, we're going to target and, and buy homes that haven't been renovated recently. Um, you know, like one of the acquisitions we did recently was a seven bedroom home. It was 6,500 square feet. Um, you know, we went in, we moved some walls around, added a bedroom. These aren't huge renovations, but it's enough to sort of, we know what the guests, like the backyards is usually a thing that that's where you pick up a lot of juice because you, you turn it into a resort, you know, the backyard into a resort basically. Um, and that's what moves the needle on ADR. So if you know where to invest the money 
it's it's what makes it sort of different in this space. So you said backyard into a resort. So is this like a like a bocce ball set, or is this yeah. like you're putting a full sauna and a pool and like what are you doing in the backyard? Yeah, I mean, most of these places have pools. So you know we'll refinish the deck. You know, or if the pool's not good enough, you know we might tear it out. I mean, we 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 don't like to do that. That's a lot of work. But um, yeah, we're talking we're talking bocce ball. We're talking um, pickleball courts, uh, putting greens, certainly like an outdoor kitchen you know, we it just make it with misters and things. So you just, you make it a place where people can go to just to chill out. Cause I think that's another big component is that people just want to be together, but they still want that, those resort like amenities. And so that's what we've seen is what really moves the needle on the, the amount you can get per night. It's just, if you, when you offer that stuff, it really does create this, 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 this very distinct, you know, difference from just some random rental house. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, when we travel, people are looking, especially these types of travelers, you know, it's it's high end business guests that do retreats together. It could be a family that's, you know, high net worth and they're looking for an experience more than, you know, they can go stay anywhere, but it's they're willing to pay. And people that have resources will pay for a pickleball court or a really nice pool or bocce ball or whatever these things are. That's like, oh, that just kind of makes it really pop. So I think that's awesome. Um Let's talk for a minute about just some of the challenges of this, because every business has its challenge. You know, on this show, the Money Mailbox Money Show, we talk about all different types of investments for passive investors and just things people should know. So, you know, obviously, as we're getting into, you know, a lot of people are talking about a recession. I know the recession uh, in 2008, 2009 hit Arizona pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you see kind of going forward? Do you think that uh, things will just kind of sail on. Do you think they'll slow down? Do you think like, what, what do you kind of foresee for the future if we do have a recession? Yeah, no, no. I think, you know, I, I think that, you know, the Phoenix Metro of 2008 versus the, the Phoenix Metro of, of 2022 are two completely different animals. Um, you know, what Phoenix has done a great job at, you know, you know, really, I think in large part due to them having to figure out how to recover from the last downturn was that, you know, they, they have attracted big business, right? And so they've become a place where they've wooed many manufacturers, you know, Intel's in, in expanded their presence there. I mean, just a few weeks ago, you know, Virgin Galactic, you know, announced that they're, you know, doing their manufacturing facility there, you know, quite a few Korean companies and Chinese companies have in town. So it's, it's just a different place. Um, and the economic base is just much stronger um, so with that being said, I think like many of the, you know, really hot markets around the country, um, you know, there's probably 10% of the values or the prices that have been paid in the last six months. That was sort of, you know, just fluff. That's just, that's it's as we speak literally is disappearing. Um, and to be honest, it's good for us because we were, you know, we really felt we, we had to sit on, you know, we were sitting on the sidelines, you know, for, for, for months here, you know, kind of waiting for this thing just to, to cool down a bit and, and that's now upon us. So, you know, could the prices go backwards in, in um, the Phoenix metro area? Yeah, they could, and they might, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they went back, you know, even after removing that 10% fluff that I think is there another 10 or 15. Um, but I just don't think they're going back 30%. Um, you know, and that's why we like to source deals off market, find unique situations where, and especially when you get the, the, the more expensive the house is, there's a lot more play there, right? And so for us, just sticking to fundamentals like replacement cost and those sorts of things, you just, I, I really feel good about it. I feel good that 
this is a market long-term independent of this next recession is just not going anywhere. It's a place that people want to be. Significant capital is being invested from any number of you know directions, and you know as you know you know that's why we're both in this space, right? I mean, I'm I'm a believer right. of of real assets and alternative assets, and I just feel like it's a good store of value um, in in the long run, and that's how I that's how I approach it, and I think that this market will be able to sustain it. With that said, it's also why we like the luxury side is that the rich the rich will get a little less rich but it won't change how they behave. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously things look different than they did in 2008, 2009. Um, I'm curious about the kind of the structure of the investment. So obviously I'm familiar with multifamily. That's our business. Primarily, we also do an ATM machine fund. There's some other stuff that we do, but is it is this primarily a similar type of thing where there's a cash flow with appreciation and it's, you know, five to seven year type of thing, maybe not speak to, you know, to your specific investment, just, but yeah. you know, I'm thinking like kind of mid team, mid to high teens kind of general returns. Is that kind of generally what you guys do? Is it less? Is it more? Is there other tax things? I'd love to just know a little bit more about how yes. it works. Yeah. So for our strategy, you know, there is some forced appreciation. So we usually will go in, acquire the, the asset with a bridge debt, you know, construction loan, right? So we'll pay what, you know, 8% for the debt there. And then and then we'll perform whatever renovation, you know, so that's, you know, 60, 90 days. So, you, you know, no cash flow, obviously, while, while the asset's being repositioned. Um, and then when we refinance with long-term debt, I mean, right now we're, we're able to get, you know, because it's an investment asset and we're sort of, you know, over the limits of all the other, you know, good financing we could, we could get in terms of just the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac sort of stuff. It's in 65, 70 LTV, you know, and the rates right now are at about six, six and a quarter, um, so, I mean, for us, I mean, with all that being said, it's still, you know, these are still generating 16, 17, 18, 19, 20% cash on cash returns, um, you know, even, even at those lower LTV levels. Right. So it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. That's why I love this business model. I just feel like there's so much more play, right? Like, and, you know, for me, I'm an execution guy. So I just know like when you really tighten down your execution too, and how you, you know, things like, you know, penetrating like the entrepreneurs organization and, and really mm-hmm. bumping that occupancy up, you know, pushing it into the seventies with good ten, you know, like it's, you can really, really move the needle. Whereas, as you know, you know, in multifamily it was like that in 2014, 2015, it was just, it was a wonderful thing, but right now, man, you got to be really, really, really good. And the tolerances are really, really, really tight. And there's guys who can do that, but I like the fact that this is sort of a transitions taking place right? That this, the way that people travel, the where, where they want to stay and their preferences. I've always loved that stuff. I love when there's, when a shift is taking place, because I feel like that's where the opportunity lies. And this is, this strategy, that's where we're at. Um, right. You know, there's not a lot of people yet who've perfected. There's a lot of amateurs out there that are trying to do it, but you know, you become pro at this, this strategy, it, it's extremely lucrative for all parties involved. There, there is a lot of growth and it's been happening for years, but in the sharing economy, you know, whether it's Turo with cars or it's, you know, Airbnb, uh, kind of what you guys are doing. And I think it's, um, like you said, it's, it's something that you guys are kind of doing something unique. I'm sure there are other groups that are doing it, but as you get out, you get there and you're doing it kind of ahead of other folks, it really gives you a lot of scale. And I, I do, I do think that market will continue to do well. 
And I do think, you know, there's, there's so much money out there. The people that are wealthy have a lot of money. They're going to keep traveling the way they have. And especially now that COVID's over, everybody's kind of been tired of just yeah. staying at home for, you know, some places like in California for, for a couple of years, it was crazy, but, um, so awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on our show. I know we just have a brief time to uh, to go over this, but I also wanted to just ask, I know you've been in the investing world a long time, Lance, and I just want to see as you're giving uh, advice or, or maybe even a resource or book or anything that you would just suggest you know, for investors as they educate themselves, uh, whether about this investment or about another investment, just anything to kind of, that's something that's maybe helped you over the years to become a better investor. Yeah, you know, you know, a book that I'd read a few years ago that I think is wonderful um, and, and maybe for whatever reason sort of overlooked by many is called uh, Unconventional Success, A Fundamental Approach to Personal Investment uh, by David Swenson, you know, who you know, ran the Yale Endowment for years. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, that in terms of investing in, in, independent of Ben Graham and, you know, any, you know, all the letters that, that Warren Buffett, I mean, a value investor, that's the stuff that sort of gets me excited and it just makes sense to me. This book really changed how I sort of looked at investing holistically. Um, you know, and he obviously wrote this and sort of translated it from that institutional pension sort of, um, you know, endowment sort of looking at the world into like, well, how does this translate for your everyman? Um, in fact, my new podcast, you know, Death of 6040, which, you know, we'll have you on uh, Bronson to, to chat about the same, but it, it's, you know, I feel like that's what he's really hit at is that you know, there's another way to build a portfolio um, then, you know, just stocks and bonds, it's it just, you, you got to look at this thing differently. Um, as to, you know, and, and really the importance of asset allocation and diversification, which may at times be somewhat hackneyed, but it, you can't overlook the fact that they're super important in security selection, less so. Um, and I think that most people wake up in the morning, they think they can somehow time the market, beat the market. Um, I'm, I'm just not smart enough to do that uh, personally. So that's why this book, of course, resonated with me because it's like, I, I can't do that. I don't have the attention span to, to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Swenson. Yeah. I, I've, I don't think I've read the entire book, but I read some of it. And even he did, he worked with the Yale endowment fund or something and grew it like, like 10 oh. or 20 X or was it, was it, I may have gotten the story mixed oh, up. No, but. no, totally. I mean, it's the yeah. best performing. He's, he's the best yeah. investment manager of all time. Unfortunately, you know, he passed away uh, a few years back, you know, at, at a pretty young age. All things being equal, but but nonetheless, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know thinking and investing like the endowment people invest, which of course inherently means you know they've got all the time in the world. Um, and and I know we don't as humans. We we do definitely have a there's a there's a time frame. But I, I think we'd all be bet, better served to 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 do all we can to have a little bit more of a long term approach to how we invest. And 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 I've spent a lot of conversations with investors, much like you do. You know, that's always my biggest frustration walking away from most conversations is it's most people are way too myopic and they're just way too yeah. focused on right what's right in front of them. And they're not looking at the big picture. Um, and I think that's unfortunate because I think that it ends up, you know, harming them more than helping them. Absolutely. Well, Lance, um, I think what you're what you're sharing is 100 percent true. And I, I believe it wholeheartedly is that it doesn't matter necessarily the investment that you're invested in is what does it do for you? And when you learn stuff outside of traditional investing, you learn about things like this short term 
rental fund or other things. I mean, I, I love being involved in different types of assets because of what it allows you to do as an investor. So really appreciate you coming on today. I just appreciate all the value you've added over the years um, to my life, just through you know, being involved in funds and different things that we've done in the past, as well as just what you're doing now and how you're really committed to helping people to grow as investors. So just want to encourage everybody to reach out to Lance, hear about his investment. And he's got his podcast coming out, the 6040 uh, podcast, which I will be on as well. But uh, Lance, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I think the easiest way, just, you know, shoot me an email, Lance at ParsonsVillas.com. You know, pretty, pretty simple. Um, and uh, yeah, more than happy to chat. Once again, I won't, I won't hard sell you on anything. In fact, I find myself talking more people out of <laughs> investing than talking them into it. Uh, should I take out a home equity? No, 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 you should not do that. Okay. Like yeah, I know yeah. you're excited, but, but you don't do that. That's probably yeah. about it. Right, right. No, we got we to talk them down sometimes. They get it. So awesome, Lance. Well, I appreciate you having you today. It was awesome, man. Look forward to being in touch and hearing more about your fun. All right. Thanks, Bronson. Take care. Thanks. So Lance Peterson's a great guy. As you can see, uh, really committed to trying to create value for investors. And I think one thing that I take, took, really took away from this interview was, um, you know, again, it's really important to look at things that you're not familiar with. I don't think I found any other um, short-term rental funds, right? I mean, it's hard to do single family houses or smaller or even large houses and put them in a fund and do something like this. So I've kind of heard rumblings of them here and there. I think this is the first one that I've seen, but I, I, what I like about it is this model is pretty high cash flow. Um, they also do cost segregation. They use other tax benefits that they can use. And if you're buying in the right market, I mean, I think the biggest thing is it's important to have some diversification. I'm super heavily weighted in multifamily, particularly in certain markets, but I do invest in other things. So we've got our ATM machine fund, which is very high cash flow. If you haven't heard about that, that'll come out probably about November. Uh, awesome, 100% depreciation and no recapture, very high cash flow in that deal. Um, I also invest just on my own in a Bitcoin mining fund um, that's more recent. I have a self-storage fund that I'm involved in. I have some other stuff that I do as well. I do a lot of precious metals. So I, I think it's important to have different things. And my friend Mark Moss says this as well. It's important to have some things that are outside of your primary focus. So again, if I'm super bullish on multifamily, I should probably have something in single family or in short-term rentals or in other types of things as well, right? Because what if I'm not as right as I, th I always think I'm right, right? I always think I'm going to be right in everything I'm doing. Everybody's passionate about what they're doing, but what if you're you're not right? What if you're wrong? What if you're not as right as you wanted to be? Having some diversification can help you. So I hope this really encouraged you. If you haven't checked out our new report, which is called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. I just got the kind of the promo sheet here. They've printed up the full one here, but this is it right here. How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. It's a 53-page report that I wrote basically about how to uh, actually not be a slave of inflation, but to have it work for you. So bronsonequity.com, it's on the homepage. You can download it for free. So check it out. Uh, thanks for taking the time to educate yourself. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.